You are listening to Spot On, the health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hi, Dr. Jones Algie Blake here, the host of Spot On. I can't believe that we are recapping the fourth season of our Nutrition, Health, and Wellness podcast. And thanks to you for subscribing and listening to Spot On and telling all your friends, we have over 60,000 plays. So thank you, thank you. And with that, let's kick off what we learned in season four of Spot On. In the first episode of the season, I spoke with Elizabeth Watkins. She's better known as the farm girl chef. And she told us not only how to get more fruits and vegetables into your diet on a daily basis, but really what she gave us is the myths and the fake news about pesticides and farming. Wait until you hear what she had to say. If you incorporate one to two vegetables or fruits into every meal, it makes it so much easier to reach that goal. And I don't like to think of it as forcing myself or feeling obligated to eat those fruits and vegetables, but changing my mentality to incorporate them into a meal that I'm already cooking. So by adding that cauliflower rice, by adding those sun-dried tomatoes for flavor, but also to get those fruits and vegetables in in the morning. Sometimes consumers get confused with organic or conventional in the fact that they can't use pesticides. And pesticides is an overarching term for herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides. But organic fruits and vegetables can be uh, produced with a list of approved pesticides. So the nutrition isn't different and they're still using pesticides. The top, um, the 10 GMOs that are approved, GMO stands for genetically modified organism, are corn, soybean, cotton, potato, papaya, summer squash, canola, alfalfa, apple, and sugar beets. So GMOs do not alter the human's DNA when we consume them, but again, they are there so that the farmer can control the weeds, disease, and insects using less pesticides. We can grow more on less land and use less resources. Can you eat healthy when you're eating at a fast food restaurant? You may be surprised to find out that you can. And I invited Amy Gorin. She's a New York City registered dietitian who has written extensively on this topic. And she's going to give us tips on how to do it. So let's listen and find out. Items are really customizable. So a lot of people don't know at Subway you can get eggs that they serve for breakfast. But I've actually ordered a salad and I said, can you put some of those eggs onto my salad? They're in omelet form. And that is a healthier protein option than some of the other protein options. I always, always recommend adding vegetables to anything you order. So if you're ordering a pizza, add onions and bell peppers. I like to suggest looking for the keywords grilled or baked. So if you're looking for, say, grilled chicken or even grilled shrimp, that indicates that 
there's less butter or oil used in the cooking process. Same with baked. We often think of eating fast food as, you know, it has a negative connotation, but there's some really great things about it. And one of those things is that versus eating at a sit-down restaurant, adults are actually allowed to order off the kid's menu. So this is a good thing. You know, if you want the fries, don't be afraid of them, but consider getting the kid's meal size. Or if you want the ice cream, get the kid's meal size. And it's it really just makes it a lot lower in calories and you get a more balanced meal, you know, maybe even add a side of apple slices if you're going for that. Does what you eat cause acne and can you eat your way to clearer skin? I talked with dermatologist Dr. Patty Farris and she shared with me the foods that can cause breakouts and the healthy ones to munch on for healthier skin. Let's listen to her advice. We now know there is no doubt that that what goes in your mouth contributes to acne to a big, big degree. There are certain foods that are what we call insulinogenic that raise your serum insulin level. They raise insulin-like growth factors. These are all hormones that contribute to acne. And those foods are sugar, saturated fats, and dairy products. These are all insulinogenic foods. So, you know, you, you may have heard of the of the pathway that's called mTOR, the mammalian target of rapamycin pathway. It's irrelevant what the name is. I like to call it mTOR, T-O-R, just because it's easy. But any foods that turn the switch on and open up that mTOR pathway make you get acne. And there's a lot of other diseases mTOR causes too, like diabetes and neurodegenerative diseases and cardiovascular diseases. Our Western diet is the problem. Wake up, people. We've got to stop eating processed foods, high saturated fats, all this sugar, sugary drinks are the devil. And we see kids especially, and young adults, by the way, drinking these energy drinks with sugar in them. We cannot become a healthier society. We cannot become um, a, a less acne prone society. And we cannot become healthier if we don't understand that the Western diet is not a healthy diet. You know, financial insecurity is very stressful, and many college students unfortunately experience this. Interestingly, I spoke to an NFL player about his background, how he grew up very, very poor, made it big into the NFL, but how he manages his money. And you are going to find out the tips he used. And also, you think some of these NFL contracts are really lucrative? Wait until you hear what he has to say. My first thing would be, I mean, to save as much as you can for an emergency fund, little by little, even if it's a few dollars a week, you want to put some money away into an account and don't touch it and try to just use it only for a rainy day, whether that's a second thing would be to live within your means and to focus on um, spending within your means and having reasonable limits based on how much you have and how much you make at that time period. Start investing as early as possible, even if it's a little. We talked about the stash, we talked about Acorns app, and just invest money little by little, as much as you can, as much as you can save at the end of the day. It's important to start early and get that compound interest generated as quickly as possible. So for, yeah, again, for my third point is just start investing early as possible. If you have 
ever had food poisoning, you know that it's not exactly a day at the beach. On this episode, Dr. Caitlin Dow, she's a nutrition scientist. She talks about that nasty bacteria that causes food poisoning and how to protect yourself. What some researchers have found is the link between bacteria and food that may also cause urinary tract infections or UTIs. So we think some of the bacteria that cause UTIs are actually coming from animal foods, particularly poultry. The date on most food labels refers to quality, not safety. You should respect the dates on prepared foods, deli meats, and smoked fish because there's a specific type of bacteria that can grow in those foods at refrigerator temperatures. But other than that, just because your yogurt or your milk has hit the date on its label, there's no reason to toss it. If your sponge is already smelly, it might be time to get rid of it. So a moist sponge that isn't sanitized daily or replaced often can harbor bacteria and germs that can make you sick. So, you know, maybe we think of cleaning our sponge that we just rinse it out and that's cleaning it, but you're not sanitizing it that way. Despite the stereotype that eating disorder only occurs in women, about one in three people struggling with an eating disorder is a male. And in the United States alone, eating disorders will affect 10 million males at some point in their lives. This was an absolutely fascinating episode. I spoke with Dr. Paula Quatrimony, who is an expert in this field, and also David Proctor, who is a male athlete who has lived through and recovered from disordered eating. The truth is, is that there's a whole lot of undetected, undiagnosed, and untreated eating disorders in the general population, but also in males, because there are so many barriers and there's a lot of stigma associated with eating disorders that cause men to, you know, suffer in silence. A lot of people don't know that athletes get eating disorders, and a lot of people don't know that males get eating disorders. I literally stopped eating, and I think over the next I want to say two weeks, I think I dropped about 25 pounds. To begin with, yes, you know, you lose a bit of weight and you start to run a bit faster. But when you don't eat that length of time consistently, your energy levels just generally drop. And my motivation was dropping. I didn't really want to go to school. I didn't want to go to my classes. So it it wasn't even just my running that was starting to suffer. Eventually, it was everything. What often is entered into as the secret for success very quickly becomes sabotage. And that's what happened to David. And your body can only function without the proper fuel for so long. So he was in the situation of energy deficiency. What I was doing with myself when I was losing that weight was basically killing all strength because you're just weak every day. You know, you wake up, you don't eat breakfast, you don't eat lunch, and then you try to go to training and you try to race. It's just weak. You're just poor performance. When I learned how to fuel myself correctly and do the right things at the right time for the day and the time of the race, there were periods in that race where I would just feel completely invincible. And that's a word that I've really clung on to ever since then, really, because when I do feel myself, I do feel invincible sometimes and I can just run and I can run for days and I can do incredible things. And that mile was really just the the culmination of that for me, where I felt fueled and strong and powerful and I was invincible on that day. Some 228 million servings of plant-based burgers were purchased at quick-serve restaurants this year. I found that out, and I had to invite this guest, Lindsay Moyer, she's an expert on this topic, to come out and tell us, aren't these plant-based burgers really healthier than beef burgers? Let's find out. 
An Impossible Burger is about on par with a McDonald's Quarter Pounder. So we know that's not lean. And and so in that in that sense, an Impossible Burger, you know, it's, it's not really better than eating beef for your health. Um, a Beyond Meat Burger is, there's a little bit better news there, of course, there's no heme being added to that burger, which we know is a question mark. And, and the Beyond Meat Burger, it doesn't just use coconut oil, it also uses canola oil. So that one has a little bit less saturated fat than the Impossible Burger, although it's still getting pretty close to beef. And it's not really better than, say, a 90% lean beef burger based on the numbers. Right, there are so many healthy ones out there that are, you know, just jammed with whole grains, beans, maybe tofu. So one thing I hope is that the success of the Beyond Burger, the Impossible Burger, gets people excited about trying some of these others as well that have a little bit more of a health benefit. With over 70% of Americans overweight, I reached out to Lauren Harris Pincus to get the facts about this disease. It's absolutely fascinating. Obesity is something you have. It's not something you are, right? So instead of saying an obese person or that person is obese, the appropriate language would really be a person with obesity. Overeating doesn't cause obesity, but the disease of obesity causes overeating. The point is that obesity is generally an example of physiology gone awry, not working really the way that it's supposed to. But the truth is there, there are doctors who specialize in obesity medicine. You have to have shared decision-making to have any kind of respectful and complete obesity care. Okay. So that's going to involve a lot of things. It's very multifaceted. It's going to involve healthy eating. It's going to involve physical activity. You may need pharmacotherapy. You may need some drug intervention, definitely behavioral and psychological therapy, because a lot of times when people consume more than they should, or they have issues with obesity or overweight, a lot of it is often emotionally triggered for sure, for many, many reasons. And then it only perpetuates and gets worse. And surgery is really the last option too. This has been one stressful year. Is anxiety the new normal? I hope not. I spoke with therapist Dr. Dory Hutchinson for tips to help us navigate these very anxious times. This is a real epidemic of loneliness, which also can really be do a number on our sense of well-being and our mental health. And I've heard that. I've never been surrounded by so many people, but Never have I felt so lonely either. We like to think that we should be able to do this. And that's another one is shooting on ourselves, right? This is a real thinking trap that makes us feel lousy. I should be getting higher grades. I should be working out every day. I should be, you know, talking to my girlfriends on Zoom or I should be posting on Instagram. You know, these sorts of thoughts, these are what we call a thinking trap that really makes us feel lousy and then often tends to have us behave in ways or act in ways that aren't healthy. And so resist that shooting all over yourself. Before all of this happened, there was so much spontaneity in most of our lives. You know, we could drop by our friend's room on the third floor of the dorm and we could go over and visit someone and sit in the dining hall for a long time or sit outside along the Charles River at BU. And now we can't do that. So we have to be very intentional. I urge everyone to intentionally seek out people, places, things, and activities 
that give you joy and give you a sense of gratitude. All those things are protective factors. Most college students are sleep deprived. 50% of college students report daytime sleepiness. I invited Dr. Michael Gardner, an expert on the area of sleep, to share his tips with us and how you can hack your way to better sleep. Two things. So sleep and mental health are intricately connected in so many ways. Like this is a rabbit hole that goes down really, really deep. Everything from how your body even perceives pain is different, whether you're well-rested or not. How you see the world changes. Your ability to feel positive emotions and negative emotions changes based on your sleep pattern. It's highly intricately connected because sleep is so much about how the brain works. And mental health is so much a downstream process of many aspects of brain health. And sleep impacts many aspects of brain health. And mental health is very much a barometer of some of those. And it also can change how you even interact with the world. So first of all, people who are stressed sleep less and sleep worse. People who are depressed have more insomnia. But lack of sleep and insomnia actually predict new onset or worsening of of depression, anxiety symptoms. And actually that relationship is stronger than the other way around. Actually, lack of sleep leads to mental health more than poor mental health leads to poor sleep. We see sleep as a cost. We go paycheck to paycheck with our sleep from one night to the next, right? It's how much change do I have left in my pocket to pay for sleep? So I've got, all right, I have six hours before I got to wake up. That's how much I got left. Instead, we should be seeing sleep as an investment in tomorrow. Just exactly how you started this. We were talking about going to bed. My decision process isn't how much time do I have left at the end of the day? It's how do I need to be tomorrow? What time do I need to go to bed? in order to be optimally functional tomorrow. And that's the decision to make, because when you do that, you actually end up buying yourself more time. Are all processed foods really bad for you? I invited Dr. Taylor Wallace on Spot On to set the record straight. Let's listen. Food processing is meant to increase shelf life, prevent foodborne illness. If you look at the data, almost all foodborne illness comes from whole foods like fruits and vegetables. Um, A big amount of it also comes from spices and things to that nature. But for the most part, fruits and vegetables are the big cause of foodborne illness in our food supply. And that's not necessarily on the fruit and vegetable people either. You remember, you got to wash your apples before you consume them because we all like to pick around on that grocery store shelf and find the prettiest apple we can find. That's not necessarily good for food safety. And then I would say, you know, some processed foods have higher nutritional quality. We talked about the frozen fruits and vegetables. I would also go back to your canned tomatoes and say, you know, that the vitamin A and the lycopene, that really healthy antioxidant in tomatoes, is better absorbed by your body after those tomatoes have been processed. And so just because it's processed doesn't mean it has less nutrition. What should be in the athlete's kitchen to improve performance? I invited sports dietitian Nancy Clark to share her wisdom with us. Always combine carbs and protein together because carbs fuel protein builds and repairs. They have two separate jobs. And athletic people tend to think, oh, if I eat more protein, I'll build more muscle. No, 
That's not true. If you lift heavy weights, you build more muscle. You need grains to fuel the weightlifting, and you need to surround that workout with carb-protein combinations. So you fuel up and refuel with carbs to fuel, protein to build and repair. Then you'll be able to optimize and get the best results from your workouts. One in three college students are food insecure, meaning that they do not have enough food to eat. I spoke with activist Dr. Laura Frank about this and why it is occurring, but more importantly, what can we do about it? Food insecurity is something that isn't in a moment. It's something that's happening all the time, that on a regular basis, you don't have access to enough food that's appropriate for you, healthy for you to live an active, healthy life, to do the things that you want to do. You can't do it well because you don't have food all the time. In fact, sometimes you wonder, where is your next meal going to come from? We talked about all those barriers that can keep people from using the resource by doing all this educating and engaging students and having students take ownership of it, be so much a part of it, and pair it up with this idea of environmental activism and economic activism along with social justice activism. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salji Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?